Well, we continue our series on the life of King David and we are doing part eight this morning. Our series is called David, a man after God's own heart. The title of this morning's message, The Goose, the Gold and the Gracious from 1 Samuel chapter 25 verses 1 to 19. Now the things that happened to David between his anointing in way back in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel and his coronation in 2 Samuel, that, that is yet to come, everything that happened in between is God's way of preparing him to be king. These lessons uh, in, in these chapters are, are not included in, I suppose, in your normal leadership seminar, but, but they are learned in real life situations over many years. Now, if last week... We spoke of David's Everest experience while in the cave. Today, he is again down in the valley. The story before us this morning is is an episode that ought to be better known because of its dramatic content. <clears throat> the story of David, Nabal and Abigail has got it all. I mean, there is intrigue, there is injustice, there is conflict, anger. Uh, revenge, attempted murder, sudden death, and it ends up with unexpected romance. All in the same chapter. Uh, Hollywood has churned out blockbusters with much less material than what we have here. Now these three people represent three different actions or reactions to the situation before them. Now, but we have to be honest here and say that they are like some people that we might have come across in our dealings or we might actually know personally or identify with. But before we get to them, there is an important detail in this at the beginning of this chapter. And that is the death of a prophet in verse 1. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. <clears throat> Samuel's death certainly marks an end of an, of an era. He is a towering figure in the Bible. In contrast to so many of his contemporaries those who have, and those who have come before and then will live later on, including David, uh, from the time that Samuel was dedicated by his, by his parents, uh, to the end of his life, he was consistent in his service for God. There are no pronounced peaks or troughs in his life, just this steady walk before the Lord, which is remarkable. His role as Israel's judge, a prophet, a priest, and anointer of kings or kingmaker, had been remarkable. His death also marks the end of the transition between the judges appointed by God to the move towards the monarchies and, and, and the royalties that would come later on. And because of this, it is somewhat surprising then that his death notice is so brief. But what is not surprising is that all of Israel assembled and mourned for him. 
one of those who was mourning was David. And obviously, as, as a, still as a fugitive, he wasn't able to go to the, to the funeral. So he decides to retreat. And it looks like he went down there on his own to the desert region down south. Now, it's, it's called the Desert of Paran. And Paran was part of the wilderness wanderings for Israel during their exodus out of, out of Egypt towards the Promised Land. And it's, David was still able to keep some contact with, it, with his men, but, but the whole, his whole retreating back into the desert is not unlike Elijah when he went down, and even our Lord who went alone to the desert before starting the new challenge in his ministry. Now let's get to our characters. First of all, the goose, verses 2 to 3. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calabite. Nabal's name actually means fool. And unfortunately, he lives up to his name. Fool by name, fool by nature. Uh, his behaviour is, is wrong on so many levels. He is rude, he's obnoxious, he's greedy, inhospitable. And this man was a descendant of Caleb. Who was Caleb? Well, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who survived coming out of Egypt through the wilderness and then entered the promised land. And the reason why only they survived from the whole journey is because they were sent, they were part of the 12 spies that went into the promised land and when they brought back the report, they said, guys, we can do this. The other 10 said, no, we can't. And therefore, as part of God's reward for these guys, he said, no, you guys showed faith and you will be going into the promised land. And that's exactly what happened. And plenty, a lot of land was given to Caleb as a result of the occupation of the promised land. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Nabal's character betrayed his great heritage from uh, the great Caleb. The situation there is that the shearing had been done and it was the festive season. A festive season. When either when the harvest time comes, if you have crops or or if you have herds, shearing. And uh, it is a time to share some of your blessings with those who have helped you produce it. Now this also uh, was a time that attracted plenty of opportunistic marauding raiders who would like to come and help themselves to the stockpile. Fortunately, David's men provided some security services to Nabal's, Nabal's men who were tending their sheep in the desert area. And, and certainly the, the shepherds appreciated their presence, but their boss, Nabal, chose to ignore it altogether. Now, all of history, all of history uh, teaches us that money 
equals power and it equals control. If you have it, you're able to buy not just material things, but also influence. The antidote to riches is obviously to be generous in your giving. The thing is that even when you, when you give, you still have control or power over how much you are willing to give and to whom. David and his men were not in the list of Nabal's beneficiaries. And as it's often observed, much wealth also has a tendency to cloud better judgment. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs we read, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale, from Proverbs 18 verse 11. So there is a tendency for those who are, who have, who are rich and who have quite a lot of money to pretend, to, to somehow imagine that their, their wealth is going to protect them from everything. But as we know, this is obviously not the case. But nevertheless, this is what they believe. This is Nabal's case. He totally ignored David's help and went on to certainly underestimate David's military might. Now, obviously David had logistical problems. He had many mouths to feed. At least 600 men and then when you add their wives and, and families, uh, you know, they'd be well over, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people that he had to feed. Now, if you've, if you've ever panicked having to uh, to feed 20 people on the odd occasion at a barbecue or whatever. Just imagine keeping 1,500 or 2,000 people fed and happy each and every day. It would be something, wouldn't it? Well, David, seeing that he wasn't offered anything and, and rather than simply taking, he certainly, David had the power to just simply take what he thought was, he was, what was his, he humbly and politely asked for a generous donation from the rich guy so he can feed his troops. I suppose it was worth a try. And in verse 10, this is what we read. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to, to men coming from who knows where. Make no mistake. Uh, Nabal knew very well who, who David was, but still said, basically saying, who does he think he is? While the rest of Israel appears to love David, there are at least a couple of guys so far that we know that who don't. Saul is one of them and Nabal, the other. They want nothing to do with David. Like many wealthy people, Nabal is one of those who boasted of his possessions. It's my bread, my water, my meat, my shearers. 
And I suppose he felt that since he didn't ask David and his men to, to help in securing his livestock, then he shouldn't offer anything in return. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever been in a satellite and there you are waiting, right? And, and then there's the guy that comes to clean your windscreen and without even asking, he does it anyway and then he comes to the knock on your window wanting his offering, right? Maybe it's something like that. But Nabal is a good example of the phrase, and you would have heard this, to return evil for good. Returning evil for good is demonic. This is the way that the devil behaves. Now let's get back to the next character, the gold. From verses 12 to 13. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now the shock in this story is not Nabal's unkind comments and words. The shock is how quickly uncontrolled anger has turned David, gentle David, harp-playing David, into a killer. You know, when, when he hears... He switches from one to the other so quickly when he hears how Nabal responded to his request. Remember how David had previously inquired from God before rescuing a besieged town? Here we go back to impulsive David. No consultation with the prophet, no prayer for guidance before God, just this ferocious anger seeking revenge. And think about it, having endured the threats from the greats, from, from King Saul and his army, and then having slaughtered the giants of a man like Goliath, now he has to endure the insults from this lowly who's even named a fool. In the last chapter, David refrained from repaying the evil that Saul had done to him. But this is a different David to the one that we found in the cave of Engedi. There he feels remorse for even cutting the, the corner of the royal robe. And here he swears vengeance on the one who insulted him. There he sets a great example before his men even berating them for their behaviour. And yet here, no one, not, no one of his men protests to their leader as he surrenders to their mob culture. He takes 400 armed men and sets out for Nabal's place. He's, I suppose he's acting more like a, the Mexican Pancho Villa, the leader of a group of guerrillas than as the anointed future king. And on his way there, David continues to vent to his boys. You know, looks like someone needs a hug as he uh, continues to throw himself this pity party. 
You know, saying, this is what he's saying. It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property and this wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back with evil for good. And, you know, may, may God deal with David. Be ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all that belongs to him. This is what he's saying to himself. But seriously, David plans not only to kill Nabal, but all the men in his family as well. Uh, you know, Nabal's words certainly invite a beating, don't they? But that doesn't mean that David has to respond to the invitation. Because returning good for good and evil for evil is the expected human behaviour. This is how most people behave. Yes, David had good reason to be angry, but he had no right to seek revenge the way he did. That is God's department. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. Again, we read these words from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now we come to the next character in our, in our story, the gracious from verses 14 to 24, although we won't be reading all the verses. In verse 14, this is what we read. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. Verse 19. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. The stage is set for a bloody massacre. And God uses two people to calm things down. Fortunately, foolish Nabal had a perceptive servant and he also had a resourceful wife. Now, unlike her foolish husband, Abigail is gracious and wise even when under so much pressure. The servant told Abigail how Nabal had insulted David's servants despite the fact that they had been good to them. And after hearing the gravity of the situation, Abigail, uh, you know, she decides to do something about it. 
And knowing that David's men were hot, tired and hungry, she whips up a meal for the hungry, for the angry and hungry men. The feast includes bread and wine and lamb and grain and raisins and figs. Uh, when you add the numbers, uh, the amount wasn't enough to fill all, all of the 600, the 400 and the 200 back there and their families, but enough for an entree, a bit of a, a peace offering. Now, last week, we, we looked at the, the longest unbroken speech by David in the Bible. Well, today, Abigail's speech to David here is, is the longest unbroken speech by any woman in the whole of the Bible. And, and this is well deserved because in no uncertain terms, Abigail is the human hero in this story. And you just notice the, 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 the contrast between her words to that of her foolish husbands. In the words of Proverbs, Proverbs 15 verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And there you can picture Abigail and Nabal, can't you? In her speech, notice how she intentionally uses the image of a sling to describe what God will do with David's enemies. And this would have reminded David of how God helped him with Goliath in the past. She also reminds David of God's promises to him as the future king. And through her wise actions, she protects her family and actually is protecting David from himself, from committing an atrocity. Now, if returning evil for good is demonic and returning evil for evil is human, then certainly returning good for evil is divine. This is how we are most like God when we return good for evil. Now, what is the response? What is David's response in verses 32 to 35? David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. David's back down is, is breathtaking, isn't it? From furious rage to calm thankfulness to God for Abigail's intervention. He, he recognises the courage of her action And David confesses that God, through Abigail, has kept him from tragic wrong. Now, Nabal's reaction is also breathtaking, literally. Because when she gets home, there's a party going on. She waits till the morning until husband sobers up before telling him, 
what had happened. Upon hearing her words at breakfast table, in verse 37 says that his heart failed him and he became like a stone. He must have suffered some cardiac arrest and died some 10 days later. And just think about it, all the dramatic build-up, God's judgment falls on the fool and he's dead. In this situation, God's justice comes very quickly, doesn't it? This is the lesson. This is why we need to leave things in God's hands. To his timing. Remembering that justice delayed is not justice denied. It is also a reminder that we need to regulate our own conduct because one day we will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the day is coming. Some last lessons for us. Firstly, David fell into sin because he let his guard down. Being so preoccupied with Saul's threat, he was not ready for a hit from the blind side by a fool. In chapter 24, David saw clearly what he was facing and how he he would react. But in chapter 25, he doesn't see it at all. He does not connect the situation between Saul and Nabal. And this is just like the situation that the Apostle Peter faced when he was prepared for, for trouble in the garden when Jesus was arrested, but then failed miserably when asked a question by a servant girl in the, in the next garden. How many times have we seen God's ways clearly in some, in some dilemma, but missed it completely? in a fresh situation when the same principles applied. Secondly, the second lesson, his ungodly response came soon after his spiritual victory over Saul. What happens is that spiritual successes tend to make us feel more relaxed. And before we realise it, we are depending on our own strength and not the Lord's. This is why the, the, the late A.W. Pink said, No man stands a moment longer than divine grace upholds him. Our source of sufficiency is all treasured up for us in Christ. As soon as we cease looking alone to him, we are helpless. End of quote. The third lesson, it appears that he was expecting some respect to be repaid to himself. In other words, he isn't facing up to insults very well. David's pride is hurt because he has gone up a few notches from the, the shepherd boy tending sheep to now that he's a valiant warrior, a leader and anointed future king. 
he's actually starting to believe the songs that are sung about him. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Let's recall Spurgeon's words here. And quote, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. End of quote. Isn't that the truth? And lastly, the story teaches us how God often restrains and rescues his servants from their own stupidity. And he does this by intercepting them on the road to folly. It is important that, like David, we respond in the right way to God's restraining providence. And let's remember that the Lord was the one who taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And this is the Lord who is there to deliver us, to rescue us many times, even from ourselves, from the things that we do. May God bless us to live in his way, in his will, in the things that we do, in the things that we say, even in the things, in the things that we think in our thought process. May our lives seek to honour him all the days of our lives. Amen.